I have in Wikipedia up here on the screen. This is uh, February 29th, so it's a leap year. And I was trying to remember, I knew there, there was some crazy tradition or something about <clears throat> a leap year. And, uh, and they stick this extra day onto February, I guess, to make up for a extra one quarter of a day on or something. I don't know. Anyway, but I looked it up here. Folk traditions in Ireland and Britain. It's a tradition that women may propose marriage only in leap years. While it's been claimed that the tradition was initiated by St. Patrick or Brigid, never heard of this guy, of Kildare, in the 400s, it's dubious. Um, supposedly, a 1288 law by Queen Margaret of Scotland, uh, then age five, you know, like she thought this up herself, huh, required that fines be levied if a marriage proposal was refused by the man. Compensation was deemed to be a pair of leather gloves a single rose, one pound, and a <clears throat> and a kiss. So anyway, there it is. The day for women to propose marriage. That's what I was trying to remember. And uh, probably not going to happen nowadays because, if nothing else, nobody's getting married. Right? They're just, you know, anyway. All right, here we are. <clears throat> the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21. Let's pray, and then we're going to read clear down to chapter 22, verse 5, because apparently that's the, that's the recognized division here. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend in your word once again. Thank you for this encouraging and unique book of revelation in in scripture which gives your people great confidence and assurance and freedom from anxiety we see this world <clears throat> um, decaying and in chaos all around us but we know that uh, you are um, everything is falling out according to your decree that Christ is coming again, it will all be <clears throat> put right, and we'll never see evil and sin and death again. And so we thank you for this, for your word. Thank you for these great promises. And we pray now that you would help us uh, as we come to your word, that we might have our faith strengthened and, uh, and our desire for, uh, to obey you and our love for Christ increase, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Here we go, then. The new heaven and the new earth. Of course, remember, um, uh, just preceding this now has been the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, uh, Satan, beast, false prophet, um, all the wicked... All, all the wicked have been <clears throat> raised and judged, and now 
<coughs> excuse me, the second death is what, what it's called. The second death has been imposed upon them. They're cast into the lake of fire. Um, and if any, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there it is. They're gone, all right? So as we come to chapter 21, the new heavens and earth, all of them are gone, all of them. Um, and <clears throat> that's the backdrop here. And it really, if you get a hold of that, helps us appreciate more the new heavens and the new earth. Now, think of this as <clears throat> chapter 21 these events here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <clears throat> okay, so keep this in perspective also. Where is the church? Where, we, we know where the wicked are, and Satan and so forth. They're in the lake of fire. They're gone, never to be seen again. Where are the righteous? Where are God's people? Well, remember, uh, there had been a general re resurrection, bodily resurrection of <clears throat> all human beings, righteous and unrighteous. Now the unrighteous have been cast bodily into hell. The righteous, the saints, Christ's people have been raised bodily because, you see, at, by this time, and we read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, you might remember, the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall rise. So everybody, at, when Christ comes, <clears throat> All of Christ's people are uh, resurrected bodily. They receive their resurrection bodies. Everyone who's still living on earth at that time that's a, that's a saint, that's a Christian, is caught up with Christ. So where is the church? Well, the church is in heaven. Okay, At this time, as, as Revelation 21 opens... Um, <clears throat> the church is in heaven. Now, what's been going on on earth? Well, remember, uh, let's see if I can find it here in the previous chapter. Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> chapter uh, 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Now, look at this. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And we said that that statement, earth and sky fled away, no place was found for them, is a summary of the <clears throat> uh, complete renovation of the old creation. All right, let's, uh, let me see, I don't know if they'll have a reference to this here or not. We'll see in uh, Peter, because <clears throat> that's where you have a Wrong click here. Let's see more a fuller description of this. Uh, mm -hmm, no, well, what's this right here? Second Peter. Ah, uh, here we go. All right, Second Peter three. 
<clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All right? How's that worded just for point of interest in the King James? <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements, yeah, here's the phrase I was remembering, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So the point being here that, um, go back here, <clears throat> okay, but th that's what, that's what this phrase was talking about. Saw the great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was no place found. There's no place found for anything in the old creation, the old fallen uh, creation. And so this phrase, this is telling us then that by the time <clears throat> we come to here, the new heaven, new earth, Revelation 21, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So here, you know, here's the scenario. <clears throat> all of Christ's people, all of us, if you're a Christian, all of us have been caught up bodily. We've received our resurrection bodies. We're with the Lord. And <clears throat> then um, when he, what we have here in the opening of 21, especially this part, verse 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So, I mean, clearly that language tells us the New Jerusalem is the church. So, look, <clears throat> here it is. Um, the entire church, all of Christ's people, having received their resurrection bodies, which will last forever, have been with him in, 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 in heaven, in the air, however you want to phrase it. At the same time all of this is happening, the Lord declares that that is it for the old creation, the old heavens and earth. That's this business of the elements melting with fervent heat, okay? It's, it's not like God is going to create new stuff. That, apparently some people debate that, you know. Will this be uh, substantially in substance a brand new creation? Will every atom and molecule of the old creation be eliminated and then God speak into being new atoms and you know new stuff to make and there's debate back and forth generally speaking what i think most people conclude is it's a, it's a renovation it's a pure absolute perfect and complete purification 
of the old creation, <clears throat> all right? What, not a trace of evil or any effect of the, of the fall left. So <clears throat> you, you might say also that, you know, in the New Testament, in some degree in the Old Testament too, um, the Bible talks about Christians having an inheritance. Well, this is a big part of the inheritance. Not, it's not the whole thing, but we inherit, um, well, let me back up. Old Testament. What is <clears throat> Israel promised? In fact, even way back when God in Genesis called Abraham, right? What did he promise <clears throat> Abraham? He promised him, among other things, a land, right? So as biblical history goes along, what do you see? You see the descendants of Abraham, the Jews, Israel, <clears throat> being freed from Egypt and bondage, going where? To the promised land, to their um, inheritance. Well, and I guess we should look at this because... Uh, let's see here, where are we at here? Hebrews, probably 11, I guess. Let me skip down here, all right? Here it is. Check this out. Hebrews 11, 8. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive, he, here it is, an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing where he went. I guess we're still in the King James. That's okay. Not knowing whither he went. By faith, <clears throat> he sojourned in the land of promise, in Canaan, all right, as in a strange country. Now look at dwelling in tabernacles. That means tents. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The, the heirs with him of the same promise. There's a huge theme there in, Bi in the Bible, right? The promise. <clears throat> Everything that was promised to Abraham and his seed. It turns out his seed is seed by faith, right? So Romans 4. So it's the church, all right? <clears throat> heirs. There's that inheritance language. Heirs with him of the same promise. Now look it. For he looked for a city... Which, had found, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. All right? Now, I think... Uh, <clears throat> so, here's the point. Abraham didn't lay a permanent foundation for his house in Canaan. Why? He lived in tents. Why? He knew that the inheritance that God promised him, the land and the city had, in contrast to tents, foundations. That means it was permanent, eternal, all right? Builder and maker is God. Now, it seems like there's more to it than that. Let's see. <clears throat> yeah, here it is. <clears throat> um, talking about the saints in general, we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, okay? Didn't receive, you don't receive the promises in this life. We see them afar off. And verse 14, For they, they that say such things declare plainly 
that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from where they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. Abraham could have <clears throat> said, okay, enough of this, I'm going back to Ur, whatever. But now, they desire a better country. Look at this now. That is a heavenly, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And here it is. For he has prepared for them a city. All right? Now, this is really kind of amazing because we know, for example, Jesus said, Abraham, and Abraham lived like, what, 2,000 years before Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. So Abraham knew something about the Messiah. He knew something about Christ. Furthermore, he knew <clears throat> that this earthly land of Canaan that God promised him was only a temporal type, symbol, and shadow of the real inheritance, the real land, the real city, which is eternal, whose builder and maker then is, is God, you see. Well, that's what we're reading about here in, in Revelation 21, you see. There it is. Now, there's all kinds of lessons for us here. We need to all emulate the faith of Abraham. <clears throat> Don't love this present world. This present world and everything in it is passing away, okay? It's passing away. <clears throat> Don't set your heart on this present world. To do so is a trap, right? You see lots and lots of people who claim to be Christians, but you can tell by looking at them and talking to them that they're, they're worldly, they're of this world. Their, their goals and aspirations, treasures that they seek and so forth, are of this world, of this present world. That's what they're all about, you see. Their, their idea of heaven, for example, such a person is, you know, oh, they'll talk about, they'll give it lip service and so forth, but that's not really pertinent to them right now. Well, Abraham, Abraham thought that it was, so much so that this truth of an eternal inheritance, uh, an eternal land, eternal city yet to come, dictated his behavior in this world to the point what kind of a house he lived in you know here i mean here's an application right um people and now you, you can understand a worldling an earth dweller as we've seen unbelievers called here in revelation i mean this is all they've got this present world that's it when they die that's it they over so but but so often you see people who claim to be christians and local churches think, think about this local churches that build these fabulous tabernacle 
buildings, uh, cathedrals, right? What, what's that all about? Um, Jesus looked at the temple in Jerusalem and told the disciples, it's all coming down. Whole thing's coming down. Um, <clears throat> the, the temple, the cathedral that is permanent and lasting is, well, it's going to turn out as we're going to see, it's this heavenly Jerusalem. It's the church, right? It, it's the church. So, but Abraham, <clears throat> his behavior in this world was dictated by his faith in the promise of the of, of justification by faith in Christ, of Christ coming one day, of of the new of this world passing away, the new heavens, the new earth, and a heavenly uh, city in Jerusalem given given to him, and it was those truths translated into hands-on, observable behavior in Abraham in this life. He lived in tents. He didn't set down foundations. So there's all kinds of application there. I mean, first of all, we need to examine ourselves, right? How, how much are we loving this present world? In what ways are we setting down foundations as if this place was our, this, was, this is it, this is our life, there it is. Uh, that, those kind of, that kind of thinking can sneak up on us. But then <clears throat> you also see, I mean, what do you do with a person who claims to be a Christian? But you can tell by their life that they're in love with this present world. They're their life, their attitudes, their behaviors, their values are not being directed by faith in the promise, in, the, in, in, our, in our true home, right? The new heavens and the new earth. They're, they're, they love this present world. So they spend their time all wrapped up in the minutia of the stock market and trying to make <clears throat> money there, uh, People like that will often have lots of time to do those kinds of things. They don't seem to have time to be very regular in, uh, on the Lord's Day in church or uh, have any time to read their Bible and so on. But, uh, or even in the kind of house a person builds, right? <clears throat> if you're able to build a house. I remember one time, uh, I'd been on a hunting trip with a couple guys that I knew and coming back home <clears throat> just out of Portland and looked across and I, it, it's a road I'd been down a lot of times and I realized that somebody was building a new house off in the distance and it, it was huge. I mean, exceptionally huge, elaborate and so forth. And I, I told, I looked at it and I told these guys, <clears throat> both of whom claim to be Christians, uh, I said, you know, that's obscene for somebody to use all their wealth and, you know, like the, the foolish rich man, you know, build more barns and so forth. Anyway, the response from this one guy claimed to be a Christian and so forth, he said, 
Well, what's wrong? He took great offense at my, at my, you know, that's the kind of thing we should be doing down here. And so, well, there's a lot of pseudo-Christians. There's a lot of people like that. So <clears throat> anyway, all of that stuff is the backdrop here, an elaboration of what we're seeing here. 21.1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. We'll look at that statement. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Clearly, this is the church. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the... Oh, I'm still in the King James. I kind of like it. Stick with the King James this morning. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former thing are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful, are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It's done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst, that's thirsty, of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's, let's look at verse 8 here again in the ESV here, all right? As for the cowardly, that's interesting. You can't be a Christian and be a coward. Right? <coughs> Being a Christian is, is having such faith in Christ and being strengthened by him to endure whatever it may cost to follow Christ. So a coward can't follow Christ. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, <clears throat> their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay, we'll stop right there for, for right now and, uh, and look at a couple things. So, so here it is. This is this great scene. We are with the Lord in heaven, having received our glorify bodies, all right? And, and what Christ is doing here is presenting his bride, his people, with, with their inheritance, with, with the home he has prepared for them, all right? That's what's going on. Now, <clears throat> you... I don't think anybody can really fully put this into words here because what I mean what's that going to be 
we're going to lay eyes on, well, here, look at this, uh, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. <clears throat> in my Father's house. All right. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. So <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples that when he left them, you know, he's going to be crucified, raised, and then he's going to ascend. He ascends into heaven. He leaves them, but he says, don't, don't be troubled. Believe, believe me. Believe what I've, believe the promises. And then he starts talking about his father's house. There's many rooms, rooms for all, okay? And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, obviously, if I'm going away right now to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again because the place is for you. I'm going to come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. That's what we're reading about in... Uh, in Revelation 21 here, all right? Uh, okay? This is what Christ has been and is preparing <clears throat> for, his, for his people, their, their eternal home, okay? And it's almost it, like it's, it's waiting its final touches, all right? Um, I think that it must be what he's preparing in his father's house are many rooms <clears throat> is the new Jerusalem. All right, the new Jerusalem. And at some point upon the final judgment, he's going to completely radically renovate <clears throat> the fallen creation, the old creation, so there's not a trace of the curse left. And the new Jerusalem, his bride, is what he's been. All of this is what he's promised. All of this is what he's prepared for his bride, and we're, and we're going to see it. So in other words, there's, there's coming this great day when we're going to lay eyes on... <clears throat> our eternal home. Now, it's worth <clears throat> us spending a bit of time, I think, thinking about this business of home. All right? Got, remember that? Maybe you've heard that old hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, right? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? This world is not my home. And that's certainly something that every Christian needs to be reminding themselves of. This world <clears throat> is not your home. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. We could, we could title the last two chapters of Revelation as finally home, right? F 
finally home. <clears throat> we talk about Christians when they die, uh, well, the Bible does too, having uh, been uh, gone home to be with the Lord. Well, the point here is that as a Christian, you've never, not for a second, <clears throat> you've never yet been home. You're just like John Bunyan's character, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress. You're a pilgrim, a sojourner. You live in tents. You don't have foundations here. This world, this present world, as much as <clears throat> some of you may have fond memories of home, all right, maybe where you grew up or whatever, wherever it might be. You, you, so you, you, from that, you can get an idea of, of uh, a sense of being in a place where you feel, you know, you, you belong, there's family there, memories and so forth. Probably numbers of you don't have pleasant memories connected with those kind of things, but I think you see, you see the point. <clears throat> Home, the idea of home, a safe place, a place where you're loved, a place where you're protected and so forth. But in fact, in reality, the Christian in this present life has never been at home, never, because our home is with Christ and, and our consummated complete home is the new Jerusalem on the new heaven, heaven, in the new heavens and on the new earth, all right? That's home. Sometimes, and I think you can identify with this, sometimes when you think about these things, departing this life, being with the Lord <clears throat> in heaven, all these kinds, these things, they sound, they sound foreign to us. Sometimes it makes you, you know, a little bit... Uh, nervous, um, not just for the fact that you die and so forth, but, but will it be so different that it's a strange place, right? A strange place. Where, well, <clears throat> what we're seeing here is no, no. What, what is going to happen is when we see what Christ has prepared for us, <clears throat> And the, the new creation, the whole thing, right? The new Jerusalem as his church really, and well, we'll talk about what the new Jerusalem means and so on. It's the church. For right now, it's the church. Um, when we see that, what, what we are, the, the feelings that we're going to have is we're going to be overwhelmed with the fact that this is home. This is, it's not going to be some strange, bizarre, weird, alien place, right? This is home. It'll be like, this is where I belong. And this is where I'm going to spend forever and ever and ever. And uh, <clears throat> so, all right, that, that's what this is talking about here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So, okay. <clears throat> now, with that backdrop here, I wanted to read you a few paragraphs from uh, comments by, from William Hendrickson's commentary on Revelation, More Than Conquerors. He does a really good job describing and this and helping us think about it a lot, a lot better than I can do. So here we go. <clears throat> the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, as this chapter opens. In our imagination, let's try to see this new universe. The very foundations of the earth have been subjected to the purifying fire. Every stain of sin, every scar of wrong, every trace of death has been removed. <clears throat> all right? That's enough to think about for a long, long time, and still we wouldn't grasp it all. Out of the great conflagration, that's a hard word for me, the, the, the fiery renovation, a new universe has been born. Now, keep in mind as I read this, <clears throat> this is real. All right? This is real. One of Satan's tactics, and I think especially with young people, <clears throat> is to view whether they verbalize it or not, right? Whether they verbalize it or not. Maybe they're even, even Christians. But in their mind, as they read about these things, <clears throat> they have a sense, in a wrong sense, that this isn't real. You know, what's here... In this present life, this that's real, but this stuff isn't real. It's something that we uh, dream about and think about, but it kind of belongs up there in the world of fiction. But this is real. This is going to happen. The great white throne judgment of the wicked is is going to happen, right? These things are going to happen. If we don't think that these things are real, right, in our mind, and, and you might tell yourself, oh, oh, I, I believe this stuff. I, I do. But, but at the same time, <clears throat> um, I think it's good for us to just take a hard look at our thinking on this. This stuff is real. This, it, it's, not, it's not fiction. Um, <clears throat> all right, so here we go. Um, the word used in Greek here implies that it was a new, but not an other world. That means, uh, <clears throat> that is, it is the same heaven and earth, but gloriously rejuvenated with no weeds, thorns, or thistles, and so on. Right, right. That was part of the curse. Not going to be any. Nature comes into its own. All of its potentialities. You can read about that in the last part of Romans 8. Dormant so long are now fully realized. The old order has vanished. The universe in which the dragon, Satan, the beast and the false prophet and the harlot were carrying out their program of iniquity has vanished. So all the junk that we that gives us such great anxiety that you look at in the news t 
today, right? It's always been this way, but <clears throat> seems like it's getting worse. All that, all that evil, tension, war, all of it, right? Vanished. The sea, as we now know it, is no more. At present, remember, that's interesting, isn't it? I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And <clears throat> apparently there's like a big backdrop to this image of the sea. Now, I'm in, way, in, in ways I look at that and I think, well, that's kind of a bummer. <clears throat> I mean, Verla and I like to go out in our boat on the ocean and catch fish and stuff and see whales and whatever. Um, and in the original creation, before the fall, God, there was the sea and God made all the whales and the fish and pronounced it all good. So it's kind of curious here. The sea was no more. Does that literally mean there won't be an ocean at all in the new, in the new creation? Or is the sea here a figurative uh, symbol of something <clears throat> evil and that, well let's let's read on here at present the sea is the emblem of unrest and conflict the roaring raging agitated tempest-tossed waters the waves perpetually engaged in combat with one another symbolize the nations of the world in their conflict and unrest. I can't remember the reference in the Old Testament, but <clears throat> it's like, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no rest, says the Lord, for the wicked. And, and maybe what this phrase means, the sea was no more, maybe that's what it's talking about. The wicked and all of their turmoil, you know, they're like, they're like the raging sea and the waves smashing and kicking up mire and mud and, and muck and so forth. All of that stuff <clears throat> is going gonna, is gonna to be gone, all right? Um, it is the sea out of which the beast arises. Remember that? The beast, the beast comes up out of, the, out of the sea, the Antichrist. Um, <clears throat> but in the renewed universe, the new heaven and earth, everything will be at peace. The heaven and the earth and the sea as they now are shall vanish. You know, I like to think that there's going to be an ocean, but any fearsome, stormy, raging aspect of the ocean won't be there. I mean, it, it is true, all right, the way that the ocean is right now, <clears throat> it's dangerous, right? You know, when you start going out on the ocean, uh, people that are experienced about it, they said, don't ever trust the ocean. Don't, don't get careless. Don't trust it and don't push your limits because it'll kill you. And it's true. So, you know, you wear life preservers and you check the weather. You check the, you know, a lot of times... We can't go fishing. We can't launch our boat because um, the bar, as they call it, you know, where the bay meets the ocean, is it's too rough and, and the conditions aren't right. So 
I mean, it is interesting. We've, we've done this before, you know, been out there fishing where the water kind of shallows up a bit, maybe where there's some rocky reefs and stuff. That's where the fish are. But you got to be careful when you're there and, and not really turn your back on the ocean because you, you think about it, those swells are coming in. And as the water's getting shallower and shallower, the swells build and build. And ultimately, they break, you know. And it, it is, it's incredible. Once or twice, we've seen, been pretty close to the huge swell that breaks, you know. That's what happens at the beach when you go down. The waves are crash; they break onto the beach, but they can break out there on a reef, and it's like a huge cannon shot, really boom. And so there's all this power, and you don't want that breaking massive wave coming down on top of you, and you're you're done for there. So you don't you don't want to <clears throat> you don't want to trust it, you know. So you're out there, and and. I mean, you can literally you look up. <laughs> the top of the swell is way is way up there. So at any rate, <clears throat> the ocean's not always a friendly place. And here in the Pacific Northwest, the water's really cold. If you get into that, your boat sinks or whatever. Uh, you might have a life jacket on, but eventually the the uh, what do they call it, Verlo, when you're getting cold? Hypothermia, Hypothermia can, can kill you. So, But there's the point, right? The present sea is a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. Um, <clears throat> but it, can all, it also can represent the, the unrest and turmoil in this present world, a fearful place. The beast originates out, out of it and so forth. The heaven and the earth and the sea as they now are shall vanish. The universe is going to be gloriously rejuvenated and transformed. And the city, the Holy One, the new Jerusalem, I saw coming down out of heaven from God, having been made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. This Jerusalem is called new in contrast to the earthly Palestinian Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> Think about this. Look at all the emphasis that Christians so often put on the earthly Jerusalem. I mean, crusades were fought over the holy city, the holy land, Jerusalem. Uh, today, it's like Jerusalem, Israel, Jerusalem, all this turmoil going on. And... and <clears throat> It boggles my mind how Christians, who should know better, want to make the earthly Palestinian Jerusalem the object of everything. Well, it comes back to their dispensational theology and the idea that when you know Christ is going to come more than once, the first time he comes... He's going to go to the city of Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, and he's going to reign there as king for a thousand years, a literal thousand years millennium, okay? And uh, all, all this, so there's all this focus on Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said about the temple in Jerusalem, it's coming down, we're, we're done with this, right? It, it, it's, coming, it's coming down. The emphasis needs to be upon 
the new Jerusalem, right? Not the earthly one. Uh, so Hendrickson goes on, this Jerusalem is called new in contra contrast to the earthly Palestinian Jerusalem. And it's called holy because it's separate from sin and thoroughly consecrated to God. The earthly Jerusalem rarely has seen any times like that. Once in a while, but <clears throat> this new and holy Jerusalem is very clearly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as is plainly evident from the fact that it's here and elsewhere called the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Even in the Old Testament, the church is represented under the symbolism of a city. And you can look these up if you want. He cites Isaiah 26, 1, and Psalm 48, and there's others as well. A city calls to our mind the concepts of permanence, residence, a great number of inhabitants, safety and security, fellowship and beauty. With respect to all of these characteristics, the church, in principle, even today, in, perfe in perfection, by and by, is like a great city. We read that John saw this holy city coming down out of heaven from God. This, too, is true with respect to both the ideal church of the present and the church of the future. It's always born from above. It's always the result of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, not, not of man, all right? The words made ready as a bride adorned for her husband find their commentary in Revelation 19.7. All right, I just want to make one more comment here. I'm going to check mark this point and we'll plan to pick up right here next time. But um, uh, <clears throat> what we've got here is right here in verse 3. All right. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, that statement is a summation of what, and I, I'll sh try to show you this next time, of what the storyline of the Bible is all about. If you want to understand the big picture of God's plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, this statement right here is it. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so we'll plan to look at that in more detail next time. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these great truths. We pray that you would increase our faith so that our eyes are set upon our true home and that we would not love this present world. We pray that we would be... Uh, that others would be able to look at our lives and our priorities and see that we're not living for this present world, but we're looking up where our true life is, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And we thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.